bringing the light of Jesus Christ into a sin-darkened world. This is the Lighthouse Radio Bible Study. Hello, my name is Ben Fordham, and I invite you to join us now as we study God's Word together. Welcome to the Lighthouse Radio Bible Study. I greet you all in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and thank you for tuning in. As we look to the Word of God today, I would like to draw your attention again to the book of Isaiah in chapter 3, as we look at verses 12 through 25, and then the first verse of chapter 4. We have seen that underneath all the societal upheaval, the Lord is going to preserve His people and it will be well with them, and it will be ill with the wicked. In the middle of the description of the execution of God's judgment, he has offered consolation. In the passage before us, we see a continued description of God's judgment on Judah and Jerusalem. All the good men that should inhabit their offices are seemingly gone, leaving children or childish rulers that are oppressing the people. The Lord has ordained the offices of government for the good of the people to execute judgment and justice. Romans 13 indicates that those who hold office are God's deacons or ministers to minister to the people by bearing the sword in judgment against the evildoer and rewarding those who do good. Romans 13 verses 1 through 4. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resisteth the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is a minister, he is the minister of God to thee for good. But if thou wilt, if thou do that which is evil, be afraid, for he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. This is not, contrary to popular belief, a warrant for the government to act as God and for its people to blindly obey. We understand then the purpose and duty of those in civil authority is to reward those who do good and punish the evildoer. Those in authority have that authority from God and have it to execute judgment by the word of God. This means they do not get to decide what is good or evil. They may not call evil good or good evil. For when they do that, they have violated God's word and are no longer qualified to lead. Their authority is bound. Do we see the bounds overstepped today? If we will not or cannot away with them, God himself will judge. They are not given the authority authority to oppress the poor and take advantage of them, but to nurture them and protect them. Understandably, 
The societal judgment and displacement of good men has a negative impact on the women in the land. The worst of their natures is on display, and they are desperate and soon become desolate. And so, in the end, many women are after one man to have the appearance of righteousness as a cloak to cover their sin and reproach. The text before us presents us with a des desperate situation, not unlike our own today. So what may we learn? Isaiah chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. The Lord standeth up to plead, and standeth to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the ancients of his people, and the princes thereof. For ye have eaten up the vineyard, the spoil of the poor is in your houses. What mean ye that ye beat my people into pieces, and grind the faces of the poor, saith the Lord God of hosts? Moreover, the Lord saith, because the daughters of Zion are haughty, and walk with stretched forth necks, and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, and making a tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will smite with a scab the crown of the head of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will discover their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, and their calls, and their round tires like the moon, the chains, and the bracelets, and the mufflers, the bonnets, and the ornaments of the legs, and the headbands, and the tablets, and the earrings, the rings, and nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, and the mantles, and the wimples, and the crisping pins, the glasses, and the fine linen, and the hoods, and the veils. And it shall come to pass that instead of a sweet of sweet smell there shall be stink, and instead of a girdle a rent, and instead of well-set hair baldness, and instead of a stomacher a, gird, a girding of sackcloth, and burning instead of beauty. Thy men shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty in the war, and her gates shall lament and mourn. And she, being desolate, shall sit upon the ground. And in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, We will eat our own bread, and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. The text. In verse 12, we find the children, or childish rulers, as the oppressors, or exactors, or taxers of the people. Here, if you can, a little child screaming, Mine! while holding a toy that is clearly not theirs. This is a simple analogy, but should give us the understanding that this is about the worst nature of the child embodied in the, in the ruler. Women, we find, rule over them, and this is a judgment. Ever wonder why the prophets were unpopular? This is not to say that women occupy the office so much as it is an indication that they have undue influence over those who do by means of their ability to seduce weak and childish men who are only after their own pleasure. 
The verse ends describing those blind leaders causing the people to err and stray from the right paths. The Hebrew seems to translate as the princes blessing the people. Instead of the word leading, we read the word blessing. And they which bless thee, we find, cause thee to err. That is to say that the leaders are approving of evil things and leading the people astray in doing so. This leads us into verse 13, in which in the which we find, when the leaders will not stand up and execute right judgment, the Lord himself comes to stand up and plead and stand up and judge. We read a similar thought in Psalm 50, verses 21 through 23, where the Lord has said he may delay, but he will come to judge. These things, Psalm 50, verse 21 says, these things thou hast done, and I kept silence. Thou thoughtest that I was altogether such an one as thyself. But I will reprove thee, and set them in order before thine eyes. Now consider this, ye that forget God, lest I tear you in pieces, and there be none to deliver. Whoso offereth praise glorifieth me, and to him that ordereth his conversation aright will I show the salvation of God. Trust that while there may be seemingly a delay, the Lord will execute judgment and plead for the poor when the leaders of men will not. The Lord will come to judge the ancients, those who should be older and wiser in positions of leadership, and the princes. Why? They are taking advantage of the poor and heaping up for themselves luxuries at the expense of the people. Sound familiar? In verse 15, the Lord pleads the case of his people, who are impoverished and beaten down by those who exact from them exorbitantly. What mean ye that ye beat my people to pieces, and grind the faces of the poor, he says? They are requiring tithes for everything, and beating and imprisoning those who cannot pay. Those who survive and give to their exactors are wasting away. Where we read in Proverbs, King Lemuel is instructed to do the opposite for the poor. Proverbs 31, verse 8 and 9 says this, Open thy mouth for the dumb, in the cause of all such as are appointed to destruction. Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. These rulers are not pleading the cause of the poor and needy, not doing the things that leaders and kings should do, but oppressing the poor and needy. We now move in verse 16 to a description of the state of the women, the daughters of Zion. They are described as haughty, and they walk with stretched forth necks and wanton eyes, looking to use their femininity in a seducing way, walking and mincing as they go and making a tinkling with their feet. All this is done in an effort to make their presence known, and through immodest behavior and pride in their looks, they desire to rule over the childish men who are oppressive and in it for their own pleasures. These provocative women will be judged by the Lord. Verse 17 tells us God will smite them with a scab. The vanity and pride of their looks will be removed, and they will be left destitute and naked. They will be exposed and brought to a low estate. All of their vanities will be taken away. The Lord says, 
in Isaiah 3.18, In that day the Lord will take away the bravery of their tinkling ornaments about their feet, their calls, their round tires like the moon, the chains, the bracelets, the mufflers, the bonnets, the ornaments of the legs, the headbands, the tablets and earrings, the rings, the nose jewels, the changeable suits of apparel, and the mantles, and the wimples, and the crisping pins, the glasses, and the fine linen, and the hoods, and the veils. All of the things that they are using to adorn themselves with instead of adorning themselves with righteousness. God will remove these things. God, it seems, pays attention to the details, and will systematically judge and remove these from the vain women uh, all these tools that they use to seduce and rule over weak men and cause them to oppress his people. Verse 24 gives us some insteads. Instead of sweet-smelling perfumes, there will be a stench. Instead of garments that are beautiful adornments, there will be torn and rent garments. For beautiful hair, instead, there will be baldness. We note here that in ancient times, prostitutes and priestesses of pagan temples who practiced this prostitution were often bald, which shed some light on what God thinks of these women, having given themselves, having given themselves over to a wanton and promiscuous state. They've taken a razor to their head uh, to show their baldness, and so as they act, so God will uh, do to them. The, which gives us some instruction or understanding of Paul's writing regarding women having long hair in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Instead of an embroidered garment around the stomach to display the, and entice, there will be a sackcloth. Instead of beauty, there will be burning. Later in Isaiah, we will read restorative language that says the opposite, that he will give beauty for ashes. And so we see a difference made in judgment and restoration. In judgment, God removes all the good things that were being used for evil purposes. Men and women have a place in God's design and are given features and abilities fit for that design, but when they are used against His word and His will, there comes a time of reckoning. Thy men, says verse 25, shall fall by the sword, and thy mighty by war. Men are the protectors of women. When we read in the scriptures of women as the weaker vessel, we are not reading a condemnation, as we read in 1 Peter 3.7. Uh, we are not reading a condemnation, but we are reading something uh, that reveals to us the position women should have. That is, that they have a position of honor. We should think of them as a precious vase, beautiful and priceless, that is set in a position of honor and protected as a thing of great value. And we have in this a picture of a wife, the woman that a man is bound to protect. Precious and beautiful. First Corinthians says that the woman is the glory of the man. She occupies a position of honor, but here she has the men removed, and she is left desolate, according to verse 26, sitting on the ground, lamenting and mourning. Having conquered the Jews in A.D. 70, the Romans made a coin with this very image of a woman on the ground mourning. One of the variants with Vespasian's image on the front and the reverse of the coin showing a female 
seated right in an attitude of mourning at the base of a palm tree, with a captive bearded male standing left, with his hands bound behind his back. In that day, says chapter 4, verse 1, that they will, they will be so desolate and destitute that seven women will seek after a man to be called their husband, but they will be their own providers, or will try to be their own providers, only seeking the name of the man to be protected from being taken by captors or enemies. They will not require of him the provision that should be the right of a wife, but only desire to remove their reproach by taking upon them his name. Would, would to God they would take uh, on the name of Christ, and he would bear their reproach. Some thoughts for us. This all leads us to the conclusion that the Lord will systematically deal with those who walk against his word and the design of it. There are many lessons for us here. We uh, look at three. Leaders causing men to err. The scriptures here give us the picture of leaders who are pronouncing blessings on the people when God is ready to judge. They are affirming sin and sinning themselves, all while crying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They are not calling for repentance of, from sin. Instead, they are calling evil good and good evil. They do not desire to offend those whom they are oppressing and exacting taxes from, but to coddle them and placate them so that they, may, they might continue uh, living off of them. We are doing sinners no favors by affirming their sins. Many Christian leaders have been duped into believing, or perhaps actually do believe, that there is an eleventh commandment, Thou shalt be nice. Speak the truth in love still requires speaking the truth, and it still requires what we should truly call love. Can't you hear the disciples saying, This is an hard saying, who can hear it? Love is correction. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 12. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. When we speak the truth in love, this does not mean we diminish the gravity of sin for the sake of someone's feelings, so as to be less offensive. The word of God is offensive to me when it points out my sin, and yet I need this to be sanctified by it, to know that I have sinned, and to see the Savior and repent. The truth is often offensive, and real love will involve correction. If we will not lead according to the word of God, the Lord himself will stand up and plead with the people and judge. May we all repent of leading people to err by way of affirmation and tempering of the truth, so that it does not convict men of sin and bring about repentance. Without the truth being spoken, the plain, clear, and hard truth, without being square with one another, we cannot expect people to understand the gravity of the situation they find themselves in when they sin against the living God. We, as sinners, are accountable to God. We, as sinners, have our only hope and plea in the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so, as we consider the truth being brought to bear upon our lives, 
we ought to hear it and turn and know that we have sinned when we have sinned. When we affirm sin and temper the truth, we lead people astray. May God forgive us for such things. Taking advantage of the poor and needy. These men were flattering and blessing with one hand and robbing the people with the other. God gives men strength not to exact a toll or a a tax upon the weak, but to help the weak and lift them up. Strength is for helping one another and bearing one another's burdens, not for taking advantage of one another. The preacher's homiletical uh, commentary says this, To lead a blind man into a quagmire or over a precipice would be a thought thought a shameful act even by the most degraded villains. But in what respect would it differ in principle from oppression of the poor? The weak and needy, by reason of their feebleness and poverty, have a claim upon our pity and help. To oppress them is to outrage the primary laws of conscience. When have we taken advantage of one another? When have we exacted a toll on one another unduly? If we reflect honestly, we might see that we have been guilty more often than we think. What do you have that you have not been given? Indeed, everything that you have is a gift from God. No man is a self-made man. There is no such thing, and such a phrase should be despicable in our ears. How generous should we be, knowing we have been given so much? Ah, but Jesus says this, the poor you have with you always. Set aside for a moment the fact that Jesus was referring to uh, himself and the priority that the disciples should have while he was with them, and set set in order uh, another priority, that because we will have the poor with us always, why is that? Why why do we think that, that that is, that we should have the poor with us always? Why is God going to allow such a thing? We are commanded elsewhere to forgive one another, are we not? The very commandment implies that someone will sin against us and we will be called to forgive them. This is truly a hard saying. So, we will be given an opportunity to forgive those who sin against us. And, by right, God will allow people to sin against us to prove us whether we will forgive them as he has forgiven us. And likewise, we will be given an opportunity to to give to those in need. Much like God has given to us things that we did not deserve. What will we do? Will we be children of our Father? Will we do likewise? God's design is inevitable. God made man and woman, male and female. A controversial statement these days. Perhaps if we do a little study, we might find that pagan cultures have always had a problem with this. Why did God feel it necessary to state the obvious in his word? Because sinful man does not want to regard God for who he is and his design for what it is. Very good. When good men are gone, what will happen? Wicked men, childish men, men after their own pleasure, will assume the roles that good men have been removed from. These men will abdicate their responsibilities to God and the women of their society. This will leave the women in that society, ultimately, to use their femininity to exert themselves to usurp authority in a way that is contrary to God and His design. 
But God's design is inevitable. Ultimately, there must be a reckoning. God will reconcile all things. Do we not see the end of the haughty, presumptuous, and seductive women as desolate and mourning at the end? What caused this? We recognize God's design requires men and women fulfilling the roles that he has designed them for ultimately to glorify him. When they use their roles for their own pleasure or reward, or use them in such a way that is contrary to the design of God, the Lord comes in judgment. It may be a slower process than we think it should be, but it always happens. Women need men, and men need women. Women need men to be men, and men need women to be women. To believe and behave contrary to this, and to God's word, is to invite his judgment. Consider that at the end, these haughty women are in such a desperate state that they will not require of a husband anything but his name, just in an effort to try to escape their reproach. These haughty women at the beginning would likely not have taken a man's name because they had no need for a man. What is best for women is a society of godly men who love and honor them as the weaker vessel. They hold them precious and will protect them at all costs. What is best for men is a society with godly women who respect their husbands and love them in the way that the scriptures command. When we see this, we are going to ask the question, what are we to do? We need to learn these lessons well. We cannot affirm sin, for if we do so, we will be as blind leading the blind and all headed for the sure judgment off of a cliff uh, and judgment brought by God. As we consider this, we need to understand the gravity of sin and make sure that those round about us understand the gravity of sin as well. We will answer to God for every act we've ever committed, every idle word that came out of our mouths. God will judge us for all. We will stand before his throne and have to answer. Our only hope is to answer that Christ has covered all of our sins, that in him and in his blood we have been reconciled to God. We must love and care for one another by bearing each other's burdens and giving up our strength to help the weak. We do not lord our strength over one another. We do not lord our riches over one another. We understand that God has given us these things in order to help those who do not have what we do. This is truly uh, how we will uh, step aside of the judgment and be found in God's good graces. We must return to God's design and recognize that His glory is our highest good and we will only find true joy in obedience to his word. Bringing the light of Jesus Christ into a sin-darkened world, this is the Lighthouse Radio Bible Study. The primitive Baptists who bring you this program each week do so with the following conviction. We believe that the Bible is the word of God, it is our guide for what we are to believe, and it is our guide for what we are to do. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God, and He is to be followed as Lord and Savior. And we believe that His salvation is a free gift of God's sovereign grace, not dependent on any work that we do, but wholly dependent on His finished work done on our behalf. 
We present this Bible st- weekly Bible study based on the premise of Psalm 119, verse 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. If you would like to contribute to the furtherance of this program, then please send your donation to this address. The Lighthouse, P.O. Box 1317, Baxley, Georgia, 31515. Again, that's The Lighthouse. P.O. Box 1317, Baxley, Georgia, 31515. Or, if you would like to send a question or comment to us, you can also send your correspondence to that address. We also have a website where you can access our programs and other helpful information. It can be found at www.lighthousebiblestudy.org. That's all one word and all lowercase letters. Again, uh, www.lighthousebiblestudy.org. Until next week, this is Ben Fordham praying that God will light your world.